You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I am one of the pastors here at Venice Church. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us today on this um, beautiful Sunday morning. If you're worshiping with us for the very first time, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. We would love to get to know you, and we would love to answer any questions that you might have this morning. So as you head out today, stop by the White Connections tent and just uh, uh, meet somebody face-to-face. Let somebody get to shake your hand, maybe give you a hug. We're kind of huggers around here, so if you would just allow that to happen. Uh, We have a free gift we want to give you just to say, hey, thank you for worshiping with us today, and we would love to get to know you, maybe get some information from you, not so we can hound you or show up at your house, but we just want to be able to serve you and equip you with anything that you may need, answer questions about our church. Um, Actually, coming up this Wednesday is a great way for you to connect to our church. If you're maybe, even if today's your first Sunday, if you've been coming for a while and you're trying to figure out more about our church, the first Wednesday of every month, or the first Wednesday of most months, we do something called Vintage 101, and it's an opportunity for you just to come and hang out with me for about an hour and a half. And we walk you through kind of the core information about our church, who we are, what we believe, why we do church the way we do church, our mission, our vision, our core values, uh, our, our governmental and leadership structure, all that stuff, just so that you can get acquainted with who we are. And at the end of that night, you're given an opportunity to make a commitment to our church, but you don't, you're not, that's not a given. You're, you don't have to do that. The way we look at it is the moment you walk onto our campus, we have a commitment to you, but we have something called partnership here, which is you making a commitment to our church. And so Vintage 101 is a great way for you to get the information that you need to decide whether or not you're going to make that decision. There's a lot happening around our church right now. The next couple weekends are going to be super busy, and so we just want to bring you up to speed on all the things that are happening. But before we do that, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but outside this school looks a lot better this Sunday than it did last Sunday because some amazing volunteers that showed up to love on this school and do a a lot of things around the campus. So will you just show them some love for all their hard work yesterday? Just look for people who are sunburnt. That's probably them. Uh, and I just wanted to give a shout out to Jasmine Denton. She was singing right up here. She kind of coordinated that whole thing. Will you show her some love for organizing and putting that together for us? Man, um, thank you for your willingness to do that. It means so much. Uh, but the next couple weekends are going to be super busy. Next weekend, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. So we kick off our, our Easter series next Sunday, but there's a lot happening next weekend. Starting Friday night, um, if you've been hearing, our student ministry is transitioning and relaunching. It used to be called Relic Students. We're relaunching it as vintage students, and we're coming up with a new format and some new things are happening. So to kind of kick off that relaunch next Friday night, they're going to have an awesome lock-in for all students 6th grade to 12th grade. It's going to be just a time for the students and parents to come and, and meet, the, uh, meet the new team that's going to be leading alongside of our youth pastor, Preston Steele. Um, it's going to be an awesome night. There's going to be all ki- I, I heard there's going to be a lip sync battle at some point in the night, which is going to be um, cool. There's going to be a lot of things happening. But if you're a parent or if you're a student, 6th grade to 12th grade, um, contact our youth ministry and let them know if you have any questions. You can email Preston Steele as our youth pastor if you want to write this down, Preston at VintageChurch.net. You can shoot him an email. He can give you all the details about next Friday night. going to be an awesome time for our student ministry. And then next Saturday night, our vintage kids are taking over this room for a, a kids ministry baptism service. Every so often, we do a kids, kind of a kids and family baptism service. We do that for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, getting baptized for elementary age, especially kids, is a little bit intimidating in this service, especially when Casey Harris is standing outside the pool. 
Um, so we kind of do a night where they, their friends and family can come in for a special night, and it's a little bit less intimidating for them to come and get baptized. And so if you're a parent and your kids are back in kids' ministry for the last several weeks, they've been learning about baptism, um, we think that we need to teach Scripture to our kids and just biblically equip them with the truth. I mean, call us crazy. Um, but we do that, and we teach baptism in all age groups for a lot of reasons, not because we believe that necessarily a, a, a first grader is, is ready to take that step, but we want them to know what it means. Amen? We want them to understand what baptism is. Number one, so that when we do baptism in here, they just don't think Uncle Johnny's taking a bath. Like there's actually something significant to that. And maybe they're not ready to take that step, but when they see somebody take that step, they're able to connect it to why they do it and the meaning behind it. And so your kids have been learning about baptism over the last several weeks. If, you're, if your child comes home and, and is ready to get baptized, we put it on you parents. You've got to trust whether or not they're ready to make that decision. But they're equipped with the information about what it means and that kind of stuff. Because sometimes, you know, kids be like, well, my best friend's getting baptized, so I want to get baptized. That's not a good reason to get baptized, okay? Um, but we teach them that. And so they're going to be, and so next sun, Saturday night, um, there are going to be several kids getting baptized. And we're just going to leave the pool in the room. And next Sunday morning during both services, we're going to be offering baptism. So if you've never taken that step as, as an adult or, and never have gone public with your faith through baptism, that symbolic gesture of going through those waters, the old going, the new coming out, out, um, just plan to do that. You can sign up to do that. Um, go to our website. There's a link there where you can fill out a form and we can give you more information. And of course, Nick, all, we always have stuff here ready for those people who kind of spontaneously decide next Sunday as a part of both services. Next Sunday, we're going to baptize. Then the next weekend is Easter, and it's going to be also a full weekend. We're kind of mixing some things up um, next uh, Easter weekend. We typically do a Good Friday service, but it's kind of taxing on all our volunteers and that kind of stuff. So on Good Friday, we're going to have a drop-in communion from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. This building will be open. I will be here in the room, and we'll have some music playing, some scriptures ready, and that kind of stuff. And we just invite you to come in whatever time is convenient for you from 6 to 8 and, and, and come have communion as a family. Uh, maybe on your way to dinner or on your way from dinner or or maybe, you, or however it works for your schedule, anytime during that two hours, you can come hang out the whole two hours and just pray and, and be grateful to God for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. But we're going to have the elements around the room and some different kind of instructions for you that night. So make sure you remember that that's on Good Friday. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, we are going to have an um, amazing time just celebrating our resurrected Lord. Um, so we need this to happen. If, if you would be willing to serve our church that Sunday by committing to attend our first service, we need uh, about 100 people from, from that normally come to the 11 o'clock service that Sunday, if you can, if it works out your schedule and that kind of stuff. That would be an awesome way for you to serve us. Come to the 9 o'clock service because we last year we had over 700 between both services, and that maxes out both services. So we're trying to just free up some seats to make sure we have a good, balanced um, day. But we also want to encourage you to grab one of these on your way out. This is just a little invite card that Im would invite people to the things that are happening at our church on Easter weekend. I believe that there are a lot of people that are one invitation away from a drastically different life. Like there's one person, like, and I know you've been talking to them and you've been asking them that kind of stuff, but I think even at Easter, kind of people are a little bit more open to that invitation. And so give this to a coworker, a friend, again, a, a waitress, after you give them a big tip. Don't want any cheap people associated with Venice Church, Okay. Um, so just leave, just give it to somebody, just one, at least one person. So as you go out today, um, our host team is going to be equipped with these. They're also going to be a, with, equipped with some clipboards to kind of help you sign up to serve our church by attending the early service on Easter Sunday. And it's going to be awesome. And we believe that people are going to get saved and awesome things are going to happen. Amen. Amen.
But today we are concluding um, a series that we have been calling Ups and Downs. For the last few weeks, we've been walking through this series. And this is born just out of a simple reality. That's life, amen? It has ups and downs. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I mean, I, maybe your life is great all the time. Can you just come talk? You should just come up here right now and preach because, like, I don't know how to make that happen. But if your life is like the rest of us, it's got its peaks and valleys, right? It's got its good things and bad things. There's highs and there's lows. And that's just a simple fact of life that's not changing. I mean, I think until Jesus comes back, restores things to the way God intended them to be originally, that's just the way it's going to be. I actually read this quote because life is like a roller coaster. Life is a roller coaster. It has ups and downs, but it's your choice to scream or enjoy the ride. Like, that's life. It has its ups and downs, and we have to learn to navigate that. And just because life has its ups and downs doesn't necessarily mean our faith has to, right? Like, our faith can remain steady. And so what the good news is the people in Scripture were no stranger to this concept. Like, every person in the Bible, that was their story, too. Their lives had ups and downs. And I think God has given us these stories because he wants us to learn something from it, right? There's some things that we can glean from the lives of people in Scripture so that we learn how to navigate these ups and downs so they don't wreck our lives and we just don't spend our whole lives being angry and frustrated and depressed and bitter. But we can learn something from these stories. And one of those individuals in Scripture is a guy by the name of King David. Man, David had one more life. And you talk about ups and downs. King David had them. He had some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. And what better person to learn how to navigate that reality than King David? So first week, we looked at that story that if you grew up in the church at all, if you connected to church, even if you're not, you know about the story, David and Goliath, where this little boy slays this giant warrior. And that was like one of the highest highs of his life. And that, you know what? To climb some of the mountains in our lives and experience some of those highs takes a lot of courage because we're going to have to face things that are bigger than us and overcome them. And we looked and we saw that the source of David's courage matters. And if we're going to have the kind of courage to face the difficult things in life, in life we have to understand that the, the level of our courage comes from the depth of our conviction. That David's deep-rooted conviction, deep-rooted belief and understanding about who God is and what God is capable of is what allowed him to be equipped to slay that giant. And that if we're going to uh, accomplish great things in life, we've got to understand who God is and what he can do and our, in, and our dependence and reliance on him. And then in part two, we looked at the relationship between David and Jonathan. And Pastor Casey Harris brought an amazing message about uncommon friendship and to navigate the highs and lows of life like you can't do it alone, right? You need people. You need community. God did not create us to do this thing called life by ourselves. And we need something more than a few Facebook friends, right? We need uncommon friendship that goes deeper than just this superficial level of acquaintances that we have. And then last week it got kind of muddy, huh? Because we looked at David's legendary fail. David had one of the all-time legendary fails, when he messed up with Bathsheba. And if you don't remember the story, maybe you missed last week, David had this legendary fall when he was supposed to be all fighting with his countrymen. He stayed at home, and it led to a series of bad decisions that just began to snowball, and it landed him, ended up getting another man's wife pregnant. And then him trying to trick her husband into coming home, and maybe then thinking that maybe the baby's his, and then when that didn't work, he puts him on the front line and has him killed. Right? Bible's cool. I don't care what y'all say. Like, it's awesome. It has some crazy stories in it. 
And so we walk through that story and how, you know what, a legendary fail doesn't happen just by accident. Like we don't just stumble into a legendary fall. We step into it one bad decision at a time. And I kind of posed the question, you ever done something stupid? Ever made a bad decision that led to a bad decision that led to a bad decision? And the next thing you know, like it's just a mess. And we walk through that and we walk through kind of all these different times that David had a chance to make the right decision and he chose to go left when he was supposed to go right and from staying at home instead of going to where he could be accountable and all these different things. And when he had made this big mess, instead of coming clean, he decided to cover it up. And we were challenged last week that, you know, what? I don't know how many mistakes you've made and how big of a mess you've made in your life. It's never too late to start coming clean and stop covering up the bad things that we've done. And when we left the story last week, we, we can't leave it. Like, we got we to gotta see what happens next. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that today it's going to be uncomfortable, okay? Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Because it's, this is one of these things that if you don't learn, if you don't understand, if we don't wrap our minds around the reality that we're going to talk about today, our relationship with God is in trouble. If we don't continue reading David's story and learn from what happens next in his story, then our relationship with God is going to forever be a roller coaster. And eventually, I would submit to you that it will be derailed. So when you pick up the story, what has happened is David has now finally come to the realization of what he's done. Because if you flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 12, just flip on over there. The notes are in your app. The notes are also in the scripture. See, David kind of, after he messes all this stuff up and after he, he sleeps with Bathsheba and after he has Uriah killed, not until a guy named Nathan confronts him does he even deal with the reality of the decisions that he's made. You need a Nathan in your life. Somebody look at you and say, bro, you dumb. Like, you've made some bad decisions here. Do you not realize what you've done? You need to be very accountable to what you've done. And finally, David kind of has that moment, which is necessary. Before, if you've made bad decisions, let me, listen to me. If you've made bad decisions, the first step in your healing process is a word called repentance. And I I didn't think this was that kind of church. That's a beautiful word. That's not a bad word. Sin simply means to miss the mark. And repentance is, means basically like, I've missed the mark, I'm going to re-aim my life. I've been shooting toward things that weren't for God, and I'm going to now actually go towards God. You have to have that moment. And David, because of Nathan and his willingness to hold him accountable and push his buttons a little bit, eventually has that moment where he realizes, wow, what have I just done? And he records it. You know, we're lucky. You realize, like, many of the Psalms, many of the uh, of Psalms in the book of Psalms is, are... David's journal where he's recording his thoughts and and, and his prayers and and stuff and he wrote Psalm 51 at some point in this journey I don't think we could ever know really at what point was it before the the conversation with Nathan was it after was it before what happens next but he writes these words in Psalm 51 verse 1 have mercy O God according to your unfailing love According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, David has that moment of repentance. That moment that we all have to have where we bow in the knee of our heart and say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness. At some point in your life, you have to do that. Do you hear me? Every one of us. At some point in our life, me included, like all of us have to do that. 
Some of us, we've done it many times. Amen, come on. He has that moment. But then I want you to see, I don't know when exactly David wrote that psalm or kind of what part in the, sequ- in the sequence of events, but we have to dive into the latter part of chapter 12 and, and, and look at what happens next in David's life. Second Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to pick up with verse 11. This is Nathan talking to David. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He's like, okay, David, like, I mean, Nathan, like, I get it. Like, I messed up, man. Like, why, why are you throwing this on me? Nathan's saying to David, like, as a result of all this just happened, David, thanks for you, you're going to get pretty bad. And I think David's just trying to say, like, I, I get it. Like, I've sinned against God. I'm sorry, Nathan replied. The Lord has taken away your sin. Like, you're forgiven, David. You're not going to die. But, because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Anybody else find that kind of hard? Wait a minute. <laughs> um, I asked for forgiveness. <laughs> we good, right? You know, I mean, and, and, and Nathan's saying, that's, that's great. Your, your sins have been forgiven. But what's going to happen next is unavoidable. And if you read, you, it goes from like, Jerry Springer, the Law and Order SVU, in a hurry, if you read this, this, this book. Because what happens next is, is, is drama. You think you got drama in your family? What unfolds in the family of David as you read through the rest of 2 Samuel is, is almost, you, you, some of y'all can't even believe it's in the Bible. Because he has a son named Amnon who becomes really infatuated with his sister, Tamar. I mean like, like creepy. Creepy, creepy, infatuated. And like he's determined that he is going to have Tamar. And he even comes up with this big plan to, and he pretends to be sick. And he says, hey, bring my sister here to kind of care for me because I'm sick and I'm in need. Have her come fix me some soup. And so she comes over to care for her brother. And Amnon puts the moves on his sister. She rejects him. And in his anger, he rapes her. This is in the Bible. This sets off a chain reaction within David's family that really he would never recover from. See, they had another brother, his name was Absalom, who hears about this and eventually makes sure that Amnon ends up dead. And it creates all kinds of problems. And see, some of us, like, this is something we don't, we don't realize. Like, like, David asked for forgiveness. And see, some of us have, have, have our theology has gotten a little bit skewed. And our, our, our understanding of grace and forgiveness has gotten a little bit off. Because if we were in David's shoes, we think, you know what? I asked for forgiveness. My life's supposed to be good again. Everything's supposed to be fine. God, I said I'm sorry. 
there should not be any repercussions now. That's the way it works, Lord. But David's story brings up a reality that we have to wrestle with. The presence of forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences. The presence of forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, Matt. No, yeah, yeah, it does. Like, that's what the cross is all about. See, the cross dealt with the eternal penalty of sin, but not necessarily the earthly consequences of it. The cross dealt with the eternal penalty of sin, but did not give us an out for the earthly consequences of it. See, some of you think, well, I'd go rob a bank today, and God, I'm sorry, you're still going to prison. Like somewhere along the way, we, we've lost sight of this. And we think, oh, you know, you know, David was forgiven. David had asked God for God's forgiveness. He had confessed his sin. He had been repentant. And there's many people in the room, you think, well, then, you know what, he should be good. You don't really think that. You don't raise your kids that way, I hope. Because we've all done this. Like, my kids, they're awesome, but sometimes they get in trouble. And it most often is connected to their, to their electronic devices. If you've got kids that are, like, preteen, like, their faces, I mean, sometimes you want to take that thing and just throw it out the window when you're going 70 miles an hour down the highway, right? You know what I mean? I mean, because they just get consumed by it. And not long ago, like, Aiden was, was supposed to be doing something. I'm like, Aiden, uh, I'm like, I don't remember what. Go clean your room. Okay, Daddy. Like, Aiden, go clean your room. I'm going. I'm like, no, you're not. But you're about to be. <laughs> so eventually, you know what I did? I went over there, snatched that thing out of his hand. I said, dude, you, your, iPad, your iPod, it's gone for several days. Like, you, you are not getting it. You're not touching it. Every time you ask me for it, that's like five more days. You ain't getting it. So don't come. So several hours go by. And Aiden goes and does whatever it was I was telling him to do, and he comes up to me, and like he crawls up in the chair with me, and he smiles at me with them dimples that are like craters in his face, trying to be all cute. And he says, Daddy, I'm sorry. I said, Buddy, I forgive you. He said, Okay. Can I have my iPod back now? <laughs> no! So we laugh, but we do that with God. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. Okay, let me have my life back now. Like, I, I, I know I disobeyed. I know I stepped outside of your best. I know I didn't follow your ways. And I know I made a big mess. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Fix it. And can I just submit to you that I don't think that's how it works? That the presence of forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences. And there's some of us in the room that we're dealing with the consequences of decisions that we've made. Like it's made a mess of things. Maybe for a really long time. And we're looking at God and God's like, I didn't want this. You brought this on. And I love you too much to let you escape it. Because I'm trying to teach you something. And I hope you learn it. And it breaks my heart that you're going through it. 
but I can't save you from it. You just got to experience it. And see, I don't know why we thought that like that's the way it was, but can, can we admit that we operate like that? Because we go through things and we make decisions and then we get the repercussions and then we get mad at God. God, why are you letting me go through this? Why is this happening? He's like, you did it. You made this decision. You made those choices. And see, some, there, you know, there's a difference between trials that are out of our control and consequences that are a result of our choices. Come on. There's sometimes, we live, we live in a fallen, broken world. And unfortunately, because we live in a fallen, broken world, you've heard me use this phrase before, we get sin shrapnel. Like we get the blowback of other people's dumb decisions. And sometimes we have to suffer through things that other people have done, the mistakes they've made. And because we live in a fallen, broken world, that's just kind of the way it is. And we go through trials that really we had nothing to do with, we had no control over. But can I be honest with you, most of the things I've experienced bad in my life, I did it to myself. And I can't be mad at God for that. Because it's a principle that we see all throughout Scripture. Like Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. You think God's playing when he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Like we see that verse and I think we read it, but we think, but Jesus forgive me. And now everything's going to be great again. And God's like, um, I'm sorry but that's not how it works. And there's times when we make decisions in this world and we have to deal with the consequences of it. But I want you to know this too. The presence of consequences does not mean the absence of forgiveness. Do you see that? Yeah, the presence of forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences, but the presence of consequences does not mean the absence of forgiveness. And the reason why I need to say that is because there's going to be times when you're dealing with the fallout of your own bad decisions, and you're going to feel like God hates you, is angry with you, and maybe you're not forgiven. Because you're dealing with the pain of it, and it will drown out his love at times, and it will hurt so bad that all you can feel and hear is the throbbing of your own broken heart. And it'll make you feel like God doesn't care, God doesn't love you, and maybe you're not forgiven. But just because you're experiencing something bad, just because you're experiencing negative consequences, just because there's the presence of consequences does not mean there's an absence of forgiveness. That you can be sitting here today and going through some of the hardest things ever because of decisions that you've made, but your Heavenly Father still loves you and has forgiven you. But you can go through seasons where it's so hard it will cause you to doubt that. I think as you watch David write throughout the book of Psalms, I don't, I don't know if he ever forgot he was forgiven, but I think there was times that he struggled with it and times that he got it. I think there was times he felt close to God, but then there was times because he was going through what he was going through, God felt like he was miles away. Because you see him write things like this in Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You can almost feel it right there. Like, I'm blessed because I, I know I'm forgiven. I know my sins are covered. I know I did something stupid with Bathsheba, but I know that God has forgiven me. But then you read Psalm 69, 3, and it says, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. See, there's going to be times when the pain of the consequences that you're having to walk through as a direct result of decisions you've made are going to maybe make you question whether or not God loves you or you're forgiven. Don't do that. Because the presence of consequences does not mean the absence of forgiveness. And now there's some people like, this is, this is hard. 
Because we, we got this weird view of God, like how could God ever let me go through something that threatens my happiness? But there's something else you need to learn. God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. He died so you could be holy. And there comes a time when we go through things that are threatening our happiness, and we think, why, could, why would God allow me to experience something to, that would threaten my happiness? It's because God is much more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. And that's what a loving Heavenly Father offers. And when you go through the consequences of those decisions and that disciplining process that's happening following that, it's because there's something that God's trying to teach you in order to mold you into the person He created you to be. You ever read this, Hebrews chapter 12? Start with verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you uh, as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as, though, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good, listen, in order that we might share in His holiness. See, those things that you're experiencing as consequence or as a result of those decisions that you made, God has a purpose for that pain. Holiness is a refining process where God's trying to make you more and more and more like who He intended you to be in the first place. And you know what? When my son comes to me, when your kids come and we have to deny them things, it's hard. But we are doing them no favors when we allow them to escape the consequences of their actions because God ain't going to let that happen for us. And see, this is why it's really important to get this. Because you're, it's going to happen. You're gonna, if you've never been through this, you're probably like four years old, if that. But it's going to happen. At some point, if you have an, you're going to make bad decisions, you're going to have to deal with the consequences, and you're going to come into a service like this or in a living room or somewhere, and you're going to confess that sin to God. Or maybe it was last week. Last week you came in here, and something struck a chord in your heart as we talked about, and we walked through David's decision, and you came clean. And then you went back into your week, and you thought, well, the consequences are still here. Wait, I confessed it. I cried. I worshiped Jesus. I raised my hands. It's supposed to be better. And if you think that's the way God's supposed to be, when this thing happens, what's going to happen is you're going to turn on God instead of turning to God. Like if you don't understand this truth, if you don't understand everything we're talking, if you don't understand that, that forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences, if you don't understand that consequences don't mean the absence of forgiveness, if you don't understand God is really trying to make you holy more than make you happy, when you go through these difficult things that are bound to happen in life, you will turn on God instead of turning to God. What are you, will you turn on Him or will you turn to Him? 
and you will turn on him if you don't get this, and you will be angry, and you will be bitter, and you will be frustrated, and you will be really tempted just to give up on God. But when you understand the truth of everything that we're talking about, you realize that you don't have to turn on God, that in these times, maybe more importantly in these times, you can turn to him. That, nah, he's not going to let you escape these consequences, but he's not going abandon to you, abandon you to them either. That he's not going to just throw you to the wolves of the ramifications of your decisions. But as a loving, heavenly father, he's going to walk with you through them every single step of the way. Every time David experienced pain, it broke God's heart. Not a single tear that was shed from David's eye as he watched his baby boy die was lost on his heavenly father. And let me tell you something. If David can turn to God instead of turning on God, given all that he experienced, I believe the Holy Spirit can give you the power to do it too. See, David, in, in, in Psalm 53, verse 1, he says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. See, if all he's been through, he could have thought, maybe there, there is no God. If there was a God, would I be going through all this? If there was a God, would he allow this to happen? But he realized only, only a fool says there, there is no God. Or he writes things like this in Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips my mouth will praise you David's writing these kind of words about his God as he walks through some really really dark dark seasons he turned to God instead of turning on God because he knew who God really was and he understood it he knew the kind of relationship he had with God and what that meant and what that would play out how that would play out in his life and the most famous thing he would ever write would, would play on his past. Remember, before ever David ever got to this point, he was a shepherd boy. And he, so he understood the, the, the relationship and the dependence of the shepherd and the sheep. He knew what it was like. See, sheep were de- completely dependent on shepherd. They would heat with their rod. They would guide them, and they would make sure they went in the right directions. They were dependent on them for food and nourishment. They were, pretend, they were dependent on, on, the, on the shepherd for protection from, from other predators that would seek to destroy him. So when David would write in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Here he's lost a child, and his sons are going crazy, and he's, his kingdom is in shambles. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Like he's the one, when when things are good, it's good because of him. When life's going the way it's supposed to go, it's good because of him. Says he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. He's guiding me and he's got a purpose and he's got a plan as he guides me throughout this thing called life. And then verse 4, but even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, even though things are going to get really bad and really hard, I will fear no evil. And watch how the pronoun shifts. He doesn't say, for he is with me. Now he's like he's talking to him. For you are with me. Do you see that transition? 
He goes from he, he, he. And I think something, even as he's writing this, something begins to just resonate in his spirit. And he's not talking about some thing far off, some he. He begins just to offer this up as a prayer. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And then look what he says. Verse, Surely your goodness. Your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, I think, I, I like how he says, he says, surely your goodness has been following me all along. As I've been walking through these dark valleys and they've been dark. And I think, I think sometimes you can, you can only understand what's been following you when you've kind of been through it and you get to look over your shoulder and say, well, he's been there all along. That he, as I've been walking through it, it hadn't always felt like it, but now that I look back on it, your goodness has been there even when it didn't seem so good. That your love has been there even when I didn't really feel loved. But all the days of my life to this point and all the days of my life that will come, you've been there and you will be there. You may be going through something really, really hard. And it may be your fault. <laughs> but your God has not abandoned you. His forgiveness has not failed. He's your shepherd. He's still there. And he's still real. Don't turn on him. Because it feels like the natural thing to do. Today will you turn to him. Father God, I pray that right now in this room that you would do work. God, for the people under the sound of my voice who have made some really, really bad decisions and they're carrying the weight and the burden and the baggage of the consequences of those decisions and maybe it's been 5, 10, 15, 20 years or maybe it's just been 5 or 10 or 15 days and the presence of those consequences are real and the reality is they may not go away. God, I pray that you would remind them that your forgiveness is still available, it's still real. And that, God, you're still there. And I pray that today people would turn to you instead of turning on you and allow your love to minister to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.